Hello, hello, and welcome to the Inglorious Bastards podcast, where we talk about spirituality, news, and what would happen if Pinocchio's, Pinocchio said his nose would grow right now. What? What? If Pinocchio says his nose is going to grow, it would, it would be a paradox. Because <laughs> he would be lying, but he could be telling the truth. I, I also don't know what to do with any of that. I don't either. It would tear a hole in the space-time continuum. Would it? Is that yeah, what it would do? That's, that's okay. So that's where so we landed on that? So with yep. the segment, most likely. Uh, <laughs> my name is Michael Basinger. With me are Matt Polly, <laughs> Brad Polly, hey. and together we are the Inglorious Bastards. Hi, Michael. Hey, Brad. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Are we going to skip ahead to that? Yeah. Is that what we're yep. doing? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, oh, you yeah. got to shut it off. Uh, I will. Hold on. I'm, I get so excited. You they do. can't hear it anyway. I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, good. On a scale of uh, uh, one to to three, are uh, you a three? Yeah, I'm I'm all right. All right, Matt. <laughs> How's Brad feeling today? <laughs> he appears to be okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. So we're gonna get get this started. What are you guys drinking, Matt? Um. Well, you brought it. Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. good talk, guys. <laughs> this is great for podcasting. I'm sharing. Yeah. We're sharing. Uh, with Brad. I'm having from Belgium. Uh, from the Brouwerge Van Steenberg. Is that Bruges? I don't know, probably. This week in Brad reads the label. Uh, <laughs> Belgian beers, you kind of have to. Yeah, you do. Uh, I'm is having it all in the Belgium? Golden Drock Ale. Um, it is. It's ridiculous. Man, it was 13 bucks for a bottle of it. So it's wow. not cheap, but it is worth every single yeah. penny. And at ten and a half percent, you definitely get your money's worth. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Matt and I are sharing this one because mm-hmm. I would not be driving home yeah. if I drank it all by myself. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, you've got something else too. What really you, good. What are you uh, yeah, I'm gonna chase that with uh, uh, actually a birthday gift from my brother for my 40th birthday. Mm. The New Holland uh, New Holland makes uh, good beers, but they also delved into the spirit realm as well. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> into the spirit realm. Into the spirit realm. Yeah. Uh, this is their beer barrel bourbon. Um, they aged it in old beer bar- beer yeah, beer it's, barrels. And where did you get that? I got it from you. I just said I got it. Oh, from did you? you? I wasn't paying attention. I, that's great. You pay attention to this podcast. <laughs> yes, I get my brother you got it from you, my, Not only do you not listen to the podcast whenever we're done with it, you don't listen to it while while it's we're doing it. I yeah. listen to it when we're done with it. Okay, uh, whatever. Yes, it was a 40th birthday gift from my brother. Yes. It's Thank delicious. Thank it is very it's good. Yeah, really good. Really smooth. Pretty just, nice price point too. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah, got a discount. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I don't <laughs> know what you got. Um, I'm drinking Sam hey, Michael, Adams. What you, Michael, what are you drinking? Um, toasted caramel Bach. Um, That's been featured on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Has it? Yeah, I had it. Mm-hmm. I thought it. you had the red hoppy. I had that too. We've done a few of these. Yeah, it's any. Who cares? It's delicious. Speaking yeah. of not paying it's, attention, molasses is the secret to the lager and creates a pleasant sweetness with hints of caramel, brown sugar, vanilla, maple syrup. Um, I had to say that because it, this way, this time it sets it apart from the other time. And this time it tastes a lot better than the last time we had. Oh, it on the yeah. Is that is that where we're landing on that? Yeah. Okay. It, uh, actually, I I'm not sure exactly how it tastes because I do have a cold right now. So. <laughs> It tastes of. So why uh, did you not just drink Budweiser or something? Menthol cough drops is what it tastes. (laughs) Oh man, menthol and 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 there's no way that's going to taste like anything. That's really gross. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, Um, you brush your teeth and drink beer too? No, 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 no. Well, it's basically the same thing. No, no. no. Um, so we're gonna go into fat pastards. Give me a second here, and I'll I'll pump up the jams. (laughs) 
Oh, here, we, here it is. <laughs> there it is. I love it. Just jump right into it. Yeah. <laughs> and the symbol tag. <laughs> so good. My favorite part. So, so good. Um, yeah, so that was uh, the, the, the theme music to yeah. for our next segment. Yeah. Who wants to talk about this? Uh, well, we've got a, uh, a plethora of goodies this evening. From our... Uh, from Walker, Texas Ranger, yes. faithful listener and pastor uh, pub member. Yeah. Um, sent us all the way from Boston some treats from across the pond. Uh, across the pond? The Atlantic, Michael. Okay. Have you ever heard that phrase, across yeah. the pond? Was that not you part know, of your homeschooling either? These aren't either? from Boston? No. Oh, no. okay. No, they're no. Anyway, so we have two treats from Scotland and one treat from Wales. Um, you think Sean Connery said this before? He might have. Everybody can do Connery. These sweets are delicious. That was terrible. That, that was, was terrible. pretty terrible. Yeah. I don't know why you. Okay, was. everybody but yeah. you can do Connery. Shut up. <laughs> All right. So, so I don't, I'm um, not gonna, normally I would attempt it, but with my cold, I know it'll go bad. So we need Michael to have a cold every week so he just doesn't talk. Well, you Screw drop all that. So we're having uh, from Scotland <laughs> Walker's shortbread cookies, which is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to rate these. Since two of these are from Scotland and one's from Wales, uh, we are going to uh, rate these between one and five haggis bags. <laughs> uh, that's our rating system this ironically, week. Ironically, my nickname for Michael. <laughs> Actually, haggis I was thinking bag. it was uh, John Don't. Connery's nickname for uh, his own personal haggis bags. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm so the rating system uh, is one or two haggis bags. I'm, yes. I'm going to give him that. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right. Uh, so we'll, let's do the uh, shortbread cookies first, which are from Scotland Walkers, pure shortbread. Mm. Tastes like menthol. <laughs> menthol cough chops. So everything's going to be a zero for Michael. Mm, they're good. Um, yeah. Shortbread. They're really, uh, yeah, it's it's typical shortbread, um, and uh, yeah, they're fine. They're those would be really good dipped in coffee. Actually, mm, would be fantastic. Um, yeah. All right. So next is the, uh, are we rating these? Oh yeah, let's rate these. Uh, Michael, what would you give these? I give it uh, two haggis bags. It's um, out of five. Out of two? No, we got to do one no, out of we'll five. We'll do one out of five. That's a lot of haggis bags. It is a lot of haggis bags. Um, I'll give it uh, four and a half. Really? Really? Haggis you like the shortbread that much? Yeah, right? I do. Um, shortbread is really good with tea as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I I'm would give this uh, like two haggis bags on its own, but mm-hmm. I would give it uh, like three haggis bags if I had a cup of coffee or tea right now. You don't like it? No, I didn't say I didn't like it. They're just, they're, they're, it's a I think plain they're, shortbread cookie. They're meant cookie. to be dipped in yeah. something. Well, I they... mean, that's what shortbread cookies are. Oh. Don't say they're a good, I don't understand. I know you don't. It's fine. I'll I'll give, I'll go with Brad's rating, too. I'd give it a, kind of a two mm-hmm. and a half on its own or so, and then three or three yeah, and a half fine. when it's, yeah. All right, let's move on to the. I uh, thought they're great shortbread cookies. They're good. They're, they're good. Are, they're fine. There's nothing wrong fine. with them. Fine. I'll rate it three freaking haggis bags. Right, Does that make you, you happy now? Thank Jeez. you. <laughs> All right. Glad, I'm glad we have our own opinions, at least, as long as they so, agree with Michael. Uh, let's do the uh, clotted cream fudge mm-hmm. from Scotland. Let's uh, let's uh, dig into that. That's really good. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's pretty good. Wow. I'll make some more of that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. It I'm smells g- like those... Um, 
cowtails. You know yeah, about? it's kind of similar but to that. But it tastes yeah. better. Yes. A better texture. Yeah, better texture, better product. Yeah. I think that's what cowtails were going for and yeah. failed miserably. This is really mm. good. Yeah. Like, if you get some real fresh cowtails, they're right. really good. <laughs> what Trust <is> me. <laughs> I've had I've had some pretty bad cowtails. Would you just eat them straight off the assembly no. line or what? There's. <laughs> He's at the end with his mouth hanging open, like just. My dad for had a thing to... with cowtails for a while, and uh, he would just eat them constantly, and uh, which is great for your health. Um, oh, I'm sure clotted cream fudge. But if you could find a really good, fresh new box of cowtails, mm-hmm. it's like melting your mouth. All right, last. Oh, let's uh, let's read those. Those are really good with that beer, by the way, too. Uh, I'm doing uh, I'm doing four haggis bags on those. Yeah, I'll go four haggis bags. That's good. I yeah. really like those. I give it a three point five. It's good with the beer. Oh, man, it really does pair really well. It pairs really well with it. Really well with it yeah. All of this, the, the shortbread did too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so these are uh, what are these? Um, from the infamous Welsh cookie company. These are just Welsh cookies, apparently. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot to them. They have black currants in them, which I enjoy. Kind of like a like a raisin-ish. All right, let's do this. They kind of look like um, mini biscuits. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, described them as traditional Welsh cookies, flat scone-like biscuits filled with currants. Mm-hmm. Great as is or warm and eat with tea or beer. Yeah, see, this needs um, – This is these are good. Mm-hmm. Definitely would be awesome with tea. Mm-hmm. Would be really, mm, those really are good. awesome. I like tea. the currants in them. They're uh, softer than I was expecting mm-hmm. them to be. Uh, I'll give those. Uh, I'll give that three haggis bags. Mm-hmm. That's You'll the, give that that's three, nice. but you won't give the shortbread. He gave the shortbread like the, three. I ended up giving well, the shortbread three, so you well, shut the I hell up. Them. All right. So, <laughs> do, do either of you listen to this? Like each other talking? Not really. Okay. No. Do you think? Right. Do you think this one is better than the the um, shortbread? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I probably, and I'll tell you why. I'm not a big. Um, I'd much rather have a, a softer cookie, and this is softer. That's the only mm-hmm. reason for the difference. Like taste-wise, I'm fine with either. I give it a three. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it a. I'm gonna give it a two point five. Mm. Mainly because uh, I like the the shortbread better. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, they're both really good. I mean, I liked all of it. Yeah, those are all good. I will be eating more of that fudge later too, for sure. Yeah. <coughs> um, uh, that's well, just me and my life. So thank you, Walker, Texas Ranger, for yeah. the, st- t- for the uh, treats. Uh, once again. Uh, these are not from her region, necessarily. Um, she was just nice enough to send them. Any listeners, if you have regional treats uh, that are unique to your area, snacks. Um, Kerfluffles. Yeah. I don't know if you have any of those. Ker- Kerfluffles. <laughs> um, anything that your region is famous for that you don't think we can get here in Indiana because we probably can't because it's Indiana. It's Indiana. Um, we can get tenderloins. We have like Doritos and tenderloins. That's that's Indiana. And we have uh, Dorito crusted tenderloins. We don't. <laughs> that yet, actually would be I, awesome. I would, I would eat. Be, I would eat that. I'd probably eat that. It's gonna happen. Uh, so anyway, uh, send those our way. Uh, slide into our DMs, and we will exchange addresses and, yes. and make that happen. Much obliged, and we will review your products, your regional foods on Fat Pastards. Fat Pastards. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Man. Um, <laughs> so who wants to go first? I have my mouth full, so it's hard for me to facilitate this. <laughs> Who's going next into the news feed? Into the news feed. There's Stop no it. reality. Stop it. <laughs> I love when he goes so, so, full Chris Angel. So we need so we need like a we need some kind of music for this so he'll stop doing that. 
No, stop. <laughs> That's it. what it'll be. It'll just be me singing that. <laughs> the music with like some heavy metal guitars and that in the background. Okay, I'd actually be on board with that. That'd be fine. <laughs> Uh, I have two short ones. Um, <laughs> hey, what a shock. Matt has two newsfeed <coughs> items. You know what? <coughs> and Michael is dying. <laughs> Holy moly. Excuse me while I have another cough drop. Oh, so I travel. Hey, getting that so shortbread I, down, buddy? I knew oh, you were getting sick because I traveled with you the, two days ago. And every six to seven minutes you coughed, one giant hacking lung bursting cough. Well, in f- in fairness, if you've ever known Michael for any amount of time, he's never not sick, really. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I was fine uh, last week. But <laughs> this I week. was fine last week. <laughs> I just realized I was really far, <laughs> yeah, really far you away were. from the mic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. So, okay, so uh, really quickly. So there is a chip company called Packy Chips, P-A-Q-I-E. Um, Packy. Paki, yeah, Paki chips. It's I guess. Pack. No, it's not. It's Paki. I think. Um, there's a video that explains. It. Anyway, so okay. they have a um, challenge called one. They have a chip called the Carolina Reaper Madness Chip. Oh, now maybe that redneck guy rubbed these in his. The recipe too. includes the fearsome Carolina Reaper, which holds the record as the world's hottest chili pepper. We've discussed that on this show before. Uh, while their previous hottest chip was the spicy haunted ghost chip, uh, but those came in a bag. Due to the beyond extreme heat of the new flavor, they're only selling one chip at a time, and it comes in a co- it comes in a coffin shaped box. Holy crap! Um, it's a red coffin box, uh, and you can tag yourself on social media doing a hashtag one chip challenge. Dude, uh, the chip is very hot and not for the faint of heart. It's so hot, in fact, that we only include one chip in a box. The Carolina Reaper, which measures in at over one point five million on the Scoville heat it's scale, it's my chip in a box. It's the Guinness World Record. <laughs> 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 chip yes. in a box. Well yeah. done. Well done. Um, hashtag chip in a box. Um, oh yeah, that's great. Anyway, uh, yeah, it just it's one literally one chip, and there's actually videos of people eating it, um, and they're you know they're crying, and you know nose is running and sweating, and I mean so it's yeah. I, I think if I was ten years younger, I'd try it. I, I would. Pro- I'm thirty six, yeah. and I have nothing to prove. There's to anybody. no way not happening. Somebody needs to like superimpose like. The debate from the other night with those those <laughs> reaction videos to eating the chips, <laughs> like somebody listened, like something Trump or uh, Clinton said, and then just somebody like I can't, it is so terrible. <laughs> or yeah, it's like that's not a horrible idea. Yeah, actually. get on that. You hear Trump speak, and then it's just somebody just like liquid farts. <laughs> I thought we could. That would be a good one too. Uh, so that's that. So my my second one is short too. I saw this today. Uh, the headline is. Uh, Pilot calmly lands plane after a propeller falls off. <laughs> so he's dry, he's he's you flying know, as it happens yeah, as yeah. it does. Uh, he's flying a Rans S10 kit plane. I don't know if you get those IKEA or is that made by what? Ford? <laughs> yes, it's made by Ford, Michael. Um, is it a Fiat? <laughs> fix it again, <laughs> Tony. Check out my S10, man. <laughs> I got it pumped up. <laughs> Put some wings on it. Listen to that bass. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. <laughs> I don't know what it is about having all the mics, but I think he's funny now. Uh, I never did with one mic. Who knew? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that's where we're going to land on that. That's fine. Um, I got my kit plane. <laughs> Need some help getting up inside the, the cab here? Sometimes the propeller falls off. It ain't no thing. Sorry, I'm just trying to help you up. Didn't mean to touch your butt like that. 
Are you guys done now? Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Proceed. Um, uh, <laughs> there, there's actually, you need to watch the video because like he's just flying along and the propeller just kind of going along and then just disappears. <laughs> like it just falls off that the freaking plane. And what's, what's interesting to watch is he never, like he never panics. Yeah, you can't. He doesn't freak out. He just calmly glides it back and lands it at the airport, like a near perfect landing <laughs> at the airport, like with no propeller. Were there like 18 propellers? So it uh, doesn't it matter is, if there's is one. Is he going to get a movie a la Sully? No. No. What's this guy's name? Uh, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mark. Coming to a theater near you. Randy. That's amazing. We need Randy the movie. Hey, you want to get that short bird out of your yeah. beard there, buddy? Oh, I'm saving it for later. No, it's on the other side. Oh, no, keep going. Over here. There you go. Okay. Nope, still missed it. We're just going to leave it there. Um, anyway, so yeah, he just lands the plane like like it's nothing. I mean, you see him making some adjustments, doing some stuff with the rudder pedals, and he just lands the freaking That's plane. That's pretty it's, crazy. It's pretty crazy to watch, but yeah, it just, just flies off. So anyway. Good stuff. And no one died. Nope, no one died. Well, he was the only one in the plane. Well, he didn't die, so well, right. technically no one died. So Okay, I got mine. Uh... We really don't know if his name is Randy, though. Just throwing was, that out it's there. It's Mark, by the way. Um, hi, Mark. That has less less appeal in the theater. Mark, Pen- Mark Pennell. Yeah. I don't want to see a movie called Mark. I'd see a movie called Randy. Randy the movie. <laughs> Randy. Randy. There went that dang propeller. <laughs> it's just like a 30-second. Oh, shoot. Not just, again. It's a one-minute, 30-second movie. It falls off. He's like, well, damn it. That some bitch fell off again. He just, he just lands the plane <laughs> and walks away. That's the end of the movie. All right. Um. How about uh, uh, for those for those of you out there, uh, you heathen atheists that don't believe that God speaks to people these days? <laughs> Why are you looking at me? Uh, I didn't look at you. Oh, okay. Um, uh, God told man to start digging hole in jungle eighteen years ago, and he hasn't stopped since. Did he? Did he find China? Wait, what? God told man to start digging a hole in the jungle 18 years ago, and he hasn't stopped since. What did he? What did he find? S- well, hold on. Santiago Sanchez, who is 69 years old, nice. Um, <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> uh, he lives in uh, El Salvador. He lives in El Salvador. Uh, he claims God told him to start digging a hole 18 years ago, and he literally hasn't stopped since. So every day, he emerges from this tunnel carrying around <laughs> 90 pounds of rock, stones, and debris because God told him so to. So is he just like digging, just randomly digging? Yeah. Like, so he's just a, trying to break the crust, man. A Univision journalist uh, went to interview him and tried to go down into this thing. Got halfway and couldn't breathe anymore and had to go back. Um, yeah, I can't. And this was it says down there. that that was, however, no surprise to Santiago, who said, "Only I am allowed to go to the end because I am God's tunnel digger. Nobody else is allowed to go there." All right. Wow. Well, that's uh, that's dedication. That's I mean, a little that's, greedy. This is like this is like Noah, but with like less of a point. What's this guy's name? <laughs> uh, Santiago Sanchez. Of course it is. Santiago, screw you. <laughs> if God wanted you to build a freaking hole in the ground, he would let everybody else go in that hole, too. Let me too. ask you, devil's advocate here. Could this not be like a uh, like a situation where this is like his meditation? I mean, you know, you oh. see like... I, mean, I guess it would be. I, it, it sounds like it's a setup to the 
the the movie Core Two. Remember, you remember the core, the no. core two, no. uh, where they go into the the crust of the Earth in order to ex- stop the Earth from blowing up. Nope, never saw. I it. believe Hillary Swank was in it. <laughs> this is Hillary Swank in Core Two, <laughs> the Core Two. <laughs> I somehow I missed that one. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, people around that area think he's nuts. Well, I mean, I can't. well, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know where to land on this. Like, I think it's easy to mock. It's really easy to mock, and I, I don't think there's a point to it. And I don't personally, I don't think God told him to dig a hole. No, I don't either. You don't know that. Well, I don't know it, but it seems very implausible. Like, okay, we all know that the story of Noah is like a myth, right? Okay, so wait, what? <laughs> Shut up! So, <laughs> next thing you're telling me, Santa Claus isn't real, you bastard. Yeah, so, and the, the dinosaurs. But at were least on in the, that story, like the ark had a point. Yeah. Like this has literally no point. Well, yeah. We haven't but, got to the end of the, the story. I'm mean, sure you the know, point. I'm mean, sure the point was made. Yeah, when he gets to the core and melts, like is yeah. that the point? <laughs> he breaks the crust, bro. I just think it's interesting. I just think this is like it's his a metaphor for breaking. I think bread. this is like his way of meditating. And if that's the case, I'm on board. Whatever, do your thing. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, he's not hurting anybody. No, I mean, dig like your a, hole. Like of all the shit that's going on in the world, a guy digging holes like the least of my concerns. Like nobody, nobody knows where it goes or where it ends or that's how so far weird. it goes because nobody can get there. He's the only one that can go that far. I wonder still if breathe. you know the guy said he couldn't breathe. I wonder if he's adapted if his lungs have adapted to that. I wonder uh, that too. Over time because he's been doing it for so long. Yep. He's like half dwarf. I mean <laughs> no, I mean essentially like <laughs> your body would adapt from El Salvador lung. Gimli Sanchez, yeah. 69 like your, years old. Your lung capacity would <laughs> increase probably yeah. to He's half dwarf. That's yeah. that's pretty that's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I I, yeah. I think it's an interesting story. Yeah. Anyway, that that's mine. Michael, <laughs> I have a two for Per yish, not per yish, per match yish. Um, both because I couldn't, I couldn't decide between either one. Both of are really fascinating to me. So, um, are you guys believers? No, believers. No, I'm not no. a believer, believer, Michael. Um, so, God. Justin, Justin Does Bieber. Does he even need to ask that freaking question? Am I a believer? <laughs> I know. I just, it's a little. It's, a, it's called an alley oop, Brad. <laughs> I'm throwing it up for you and to I squat will it down. Slam dunk that right back down your throat. Okay, so uh, Justin Bieber is currently on tour with his Purpose Tour in Europe, um, and he had Purpose a, Driven Tour. Well, <laughs> we're wait for it. Is Rick Warren with him? Uh, no, not not Rick Warren. Um, what about Doug Fields and Purpose Driven Youth Ministries? He with him too? No. I read that book. Anyway, that was useful. Um, yeah, so was in the middle of read. in the middle of uh, his sets with uh, in the middle of a set, that's a sweet letterhead based off that though. I had my own like five words and everything. What are you talking about? <laughs> my purpose-driven youth ministry. I did. Uh, our education was a sham. Anyway, okay. go ahead. Anyway, <clears throat> so Justin Bieber. See what it's like to be interrupted all the time. Yeah, sucks, it's awesome. doesn't it? No, it's awesome. Yeah, it's what you do every goddamn week. <laughs> to me, every week. It's very true. Do you love it? Don't you? I, I will admit that I laughed when I listened to the podcast back a couple days ago. When yeah. you like, I think it was last week. You were just insufferably. <laughs> <laughs> like I really, I really, I really wanted to murder you. I really did. Yeah. Well, what's new? And you jumped in on it too. Like you I couldn't did. stop laughing either. I- <laughs> and so I'm just like I was howling in my car. I was laughing so hard. At uh. It was funnier after the fact than in the fa- during. It always during. is. Yeah. I, I think it's funny in the moment, but <laughs> I'm sure you do. That's why, that's why I do it. Um, anyway, I, I find you, I find you less charming though. So in um, the moment, well, I find myself super charming. I'm sure you do. Um, so Justin Bieber uh, on the Purpose Tour in Europe. Um, in the middle of a set, he brought out an acoustic um, guitar, 
and decided to sing the classic worship song, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever. Oh, a little delirious so, action. Yeah. Um, so he is uh, famously a fan of worship music. Um, Justin Bieber's a Christian. Yeah, so I, that's what I'm getting at. Like, the Biebs is is finding faith, and he's, like, in over the past, like, year, two years, like, there's been incidences where he's spoke out about his faith and stuff like that, and it's interesting. He's a, He is a bad boy. But no, he's not. He's like he's like today's Johnny Cash. No, he's not a bad boy. No, no, he's you definitely ever, not today's I Johnny Cash. I swear to God, if you, you know ever, what? I just called no, on to what you wait, said. It's yeah, screw you. I know. I threw that up there. If neither you one of you ever, did if you ever compare him to Johnny Cash, this podcast is over. Um, no, shh. Okay, I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah, uh, I I'm, I can't think of a good. Um, Move on. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, so he's singing "I Could Sing of Your Love Forever," and it's like, huh. you know, I had a love hate thing with "I Could Sing of Your Love Forever." I we sang it too many times, yeah. um, but it actually kind of made me kind of enjoy that song. It's not. I mean, it's just him on a guitar, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. I mean, I hate to. I don't. His music's not my thing, but no. he is actually he's talented. talented. Yeah. 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 As I'm much as I hate to admit it. Yeah, did you ever see that uh, documentary, nope. Never Say Never? Nope, no, sure didn't. I think it was Never sure Say Never. Sure you did, though, didn't you? I think so. That whale mouth wide open for that one, didn't <laughs> yep. you? Yep. It was, it was not just bad. Just krill everywhere. Just, just sucked that one right on in. Yeah. Yep. So, I never bought any of his CDs, but yeah. I, I believe. I believe. I'd say I believe. You believe? I believe. <laughs> I believe in him. Would you I'm say a believer. You, do you believe in Jesus, Michael? <laughs> 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 Oh man! As it costs up one butter. Yeah, we should start going door to door in in town and asking people if they believe in Jesus and see if they notice, like if they flinch at all. Like, are you a believer? Are you? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you heard of our Lord and Savior Justin like Bieber? Our, it'd be like hard version of the meow game. <laughs> <laughs> see how many times you can say believe before somebody calls you on it. Do you believe in <laughs> life after love or love do you after be, life? Do you, do you be, believe do you, in love after love? Do you, do you believe that you'll go to heaven when you die? It was, uh, do uh, you believe? That's what we can like. You just keep getting fired up and just keep saying I believe. believe. I can fly. <laughs> Woo! No, there are. I believe reference. I can touch. Yeah, you know, people are gonna think we actually listen to R. Kelly. We really don't. Well, I there's, there's only two songs he ever wrote, and that's well, there's three. <laughs> Um, I believe I can fly. Um, trapped in a closet, <laughs> and the remix to Ignition, which we've talked about. <laughs> Those are the only three songs I know. I, I we've mentioned like, all of them on yeah, the podcast. One of these days, when Michael dies before we all do, we're going to do a documentary about his life. It's going to be called "Trapped in a Closet: The Michael Basinger Story." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I am out of the closet, bros. I am way out. I'm way. You're a solid four on the Kinsey scale. Oh, we've talked about me on the Kinsey scale. I'm not on it. I'm zero. I'm a one. I oh, took yeah. it. Yeah, I'm a one. I haven't mm. taken it. Yeah. I'll do it now. No, you need to All pay right. attention to the podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, my next story. Is that where we landed on that? Yeah, yeah it is. Is um... <coughs> Sorry. Um, sorry for it's the, like the early the days of the podcast when I couldn't stop coughing. Yeah. Um, so um, back in 1982, the Almeda family uh, was saddened to learn their beloved uh, pet... And Wella, a young red-footed tortoise, had gone missing. Hmm. Their house was under renovation at the time, so the family assumed that the slow-moving animal had slipped out uh, through a gate 
uh, left open by construction. I mean, it was a slow getaway, but it's in Brazil, um, and they assumed he got out to the into the forest. Anyway, uh, the true fate of the lost pet remained a mystery for the next thirty years. Last mo- month, the the family's father passed away, and they uh, returned to help clean out the cluttered storage room upstairs. As it turns out, turns out their father was quite the hoarder, and they found the turtle alive. What? What? Yep. How, what did it eat? Uh, they they're not sure. Um, <laughs> termites, uh, gr- grubs, uh, unwanted furniture. Um, it's, it's like didn't we have a couch up here? Or? <laughs> yeah. So they found a. Their, their turtle for when they were piles children. of shit and polyester styrofoam. <laughs> you beat me to it. There, yeah. like. So that's that's freaking nuts. Goddamn turtle ate a cushion again. Did you guys uh, have uh, pets growing up? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we weren't really allowed to have a lot of pets, but we had uh, f- briefly, fairly briefly, uh, two parakeets, which in case you're wondering, for those keeping score, <laughs> this like is a horrible idea. the worst damn so, pet yeah, they, in the uh, history of they pets. They literally so, shit all over the wall. Yeah, like, they would like, out of their cage, their they shit. would fling their crap out of the cage onto the wall. Whose idea was this? I think it was, well, we wanted them maybe, well, or I don't this even, was like a you know, thing. I honestly don't, I don't remember, remember how that either. worked. So I was in first grade, uh, <laughs> and I get up one morning. I to remember see, it just like it was yesterday. To see, I do, to see my beloved Odie. Which was what I named my I had a, my parakeet. I had a dog named Odie too. He was he was well. This that was a fun pet. This was a bird that I never touched. I couldn't touch him. I just they like, just were in the cage. They were just set in the cage. Now see, my dog it made sense because it was a dog named Odie from yeah. Garfield. Well, I liked Garfield, so I named him Odie. Um, my beloved blue and white parakeet. He was beautiful. And I get up in the morning uh, before school, <clears throat> and I look in the cage, and I said, "Mom." I think something's wrong with Odie. And she said, why? And I said, because he's laying on the bottom of the cage. Uh, because he's not, Odie, just he's not dead. Because he's Odie resting. was dead. Uh, what had happened was my father killed him. What? And my father killed him because uh, I, I look back at this. I'm like, is this a thing that really needed to happen? Yeah. Bathed our birds the night before. What? Gave them a bath in the bathroom. In the sink. In the sink. Gave them a bath. Uh, gave it a, some sort of disease, like pneumonia or something, and killed it. Oh. Um, Did they have an autopsy or something? Uh, no. So. With a steak knife on the <laughs> butcher block in the kitchen. Yeah. My, dad an hacks, my dad lops his head off. Well, it looks like pneumonia. Next um, week on CBS, bird autopsy. <laughs> NCIS. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so we went out. I could tell you to this day, and my parents... Uh, house on my in my parents backyard where that bird is buried we put it in the shoe box and my dad before school we went out i went out with my dad and we dug a hole in the ground and buried poor odie did you sing i believe i can fly to it <laughs> no i sang i believe i can fly i believe uh, at the time able to fly so dad <laughs> So when Dad, I believe I can fly, but you but can't because you're dead. With just these tears to cry. <laughs> so when Dad takes him out to bury the box, yeah, this asshole is laughing, sitting in the window, me. laughing at him. It's a bird. In so a in box. case you're wondering, the whole Mad Brad thing, uh, Matt's the piece of shit. It's not Brad. <laughs> I think we've already established. And he's that. kind of always. What's going on? What happened? He was sitting while I'm burying my dead bird crying. in the yard, crying. I'm crying. This asshole. <laughs> is sitting 
in the window of the house watching me and laughing. I, re- I can remember it like it was yesterday. Wait, but there were two birds. What happened to the other bird? Uh, was, uh, we sold them. We sold it to an older lady, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we was sold that Matt's them. bird? Yeah. What yeah. was your bird's name? I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. Yeah, I just remember Odie. Did we go Garfield dead. and Odie? Is that what we did? Mm, I don't think yours was Garfield. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> Why don't. Odie? Like, I, I think about that now. I'm like, I didn't name it Garfield. Well, I named it I know Odie. we read a lot of Garfield. Yeah, but I, I mean, like, Garfield Odie? comics. But, I don't yeah. Know. But birds kill, cat, Garfield killed birds, right? So why would you name it? Bird after it's not a lot of logic. Why do we own parakeets? I think that was the first question. Yeah. That's not a lot of logic there. What either. were your parents thinking? I don't know. They weren't. I don't can, know. Can we get them on here? For they were thinking they want a pet and we don't want to get a dog because they're too much responsibility. That's probably which, ironically, doing. probably less responsibility than those freaking birds were. <laughs> I know. I mean, shit all over the walls and food everywhere, and it was awful. Yeah. So yeah, uh, don't get birds. Don't give them to your children. Yeah, and, they're terrible. Uh, don't give them baths. Yeah, so that's yeah. what we've learned here today. There you guys. go. You've learned something. Yes. Um, so yeah, we're gonna go into further up, further in. Um, super, super pumped to have yeah. Derek Webb on the podcast. Um, we interviewed him a few uh, weeks ago, um, and super, super nice guy. Super awesome. Really nice guy. Yeah. Um, couple of things I want to uh, before we get into it, I want to give a couple shout outs to some people. Um, Giff Reed. Uh, sent us a ton of questions uh, for for Derek Webb. We used a bunch of them and didn't give him credit, um, but he did a bunch of questions. He's a he's a super fan like us, and we opened it up to the pub and he sent me a bunch of questions and it was very very helpful, very insightful questions. Um, and then uh, Matt Seymour um, did uh, editing on this interview, so mm-hmm. this is our first like uh, professionally edited interview. Yeah, and it's. Really good. Yeah, it, <laughs> it you should have heard it before he edited it. Like, it's terrible. We always make jokes about like classing up the joint. Totally classed up the joint. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you, thank you for that, Matt. We appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. You're our new friend. Um, we really, really appreciate. You are it. the wind beneath our wings. You, as it um, were. Don't yes. sing. Don't sing. You're fine. I think. It's fine. I think Control the impulse. I think he's from across the pond. He is. As he they is. say. Yes. Um, from jolly old England. Yeah. I think. Well, I don't know. Really, let's not get. Not say it's jolly. No, I, w- I want to visit England. I would. I would. Like, I really want to visit England. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. It's on my list. I'd rather go to Ireland. I would well, also Ireland, Scotland. Close. Yeah, yeah. They're all they're all on my list. Yeah. So uh, with that, we're gonna go to our <laughs> our, our Derek Webb uh, interview. Um, Derek Webb is a singer, songwriter, producer, um, remixer, agitator. It's his words, not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, co-founder and president of Noise Trade. And the uh, general manager of Pledge Music out of Nashville. So uh, we're super pumped to have him on the podcast and hope you uh, enjoy the interview. Thanks. Hey, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Thanks again for being on the podcast. Absolutely. We yeah, really, man, it's a pleasure. Thanks for asking. We uh, are, are super, super huge fans. So <laughs> and we'll, we'll see what we can do about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we have a few questions for you. We've kind of broken it up into different segments, uh, and, and we're going to talk about different like categories. But uh, the first one is music. We want to talk about music with you. So you co-founded Noise Trade, um, yes. a website where artists can share their work for free. And it's been extremely successful with over a million users. All three of us are included in this over a million users. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, multiple, multiple times. Can you tell us a little bit of the story about how uh, and why Noise Trade got started? So I've you know made a living for over 20 years as a 
blue collar musician and noise trade came really from my needing to solve my own problems that I was having and, and uh, looking for something in the market that I couldn't find a tool that I couldn't find and, and really, and imagined and, and really needed. And when I couldn't find it, you know, uh, you know, I decided to build it and to see if it would work. And 2006, I'd put out my third record, which was a record called Mockingbird. And, you know, I, over the years, I mean, I spent 10 years in a band and, and came out of that experience with some really, really supportive um, kind of a segment of fans. But I was on my third record, third record cycle, and it didn't matter how much money or how little money we spent on marketing I always wound up selling about the same amount of records. Like I had, um, you know, a certain kind of tribe of folks who were supportive and always bought the records, and and we would just kind of hit that ceiling, and that's all we would sell, and that's fine. And we were in the my 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 record label and I were real happy. And but the point was that after three records of spending marketing money each time, we weren't really growing the uh, the tribe at all. It was just kind of we we kept hitting those same people, and and that's okay because like you know I'm I'm not for everybody. You know, like I'm, uh, I'm kind of a niche, 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 niche kind of artist, <laughs> and uh, and I know that, and I'm not, I'm not swinging for the back fence. I'm, I'm happy making records for kind of a, a small group of folks who are resonant with my story, and and I've always been happy with that. But after that third record, I had a little more ambition about it, and just decided, you know, when we were about six months in, the record had been out for about six months. Um, the marketing money was spent. Um, my tribe had bought it, and typically everybody's happy at that point, and I wasn't not happy, but just wanted to experiment and went to the label and kind of said, you know, I, w- I would love to continue promoting this record rather than to immediately have a conversation six months in about record four. And yeah, yeah. they said, I think rhetorically to me, you know, unless you can come up with a way to promote the record further that doesn't cost us any money, we have to move on. And typically that would have been fine. But I said, you know, let me let me think about that and basically came back to them with this idea um, to let me give the record away for free. Uh, digitally online for information with for data for emails and and zip codes. Uh, well, first of all, in 2006, it was ludicrous still to give music away. I mean, it was yeah, pre, it was yeah. pre Radiohead, pre Nine Inch Nails, right. pre Prince. It was, but I'm you know I'm I'm again I'm this kind of middle class artist. I have nothing to lose really, and my thinking was the people who download the record and hate it and delete it. There was a zero opportunity cost on those people. They were never. Yeah. They weren't. They're not my fans, and I'm not looking to try to get money from people who aren't my fans. And so, good to know. You guys go find music you do like, and I'll go find fans for what I make. And right. but for the people, that segment of people who downloaded it, who over three record cycles and all the marketing money we'd spent had never heard of me, never found me, who downloaded it for free, only found it because it was free, and because we took every barrier of entry down. You know that that would be just found opportunity for me because then I would have two previous records I could. So those people, once we got on the radar, we got their email address, permission to to talk to them. Um, we got their zip code, so we knew where they lived, and suddenly knew um, what cities I had concentrations of fans where I could tour smarter. And and I, so I thought, you know, like there's a lot of ways to make money with data, and it's not we're not poaching our ability to sell records because these people are never going to buy them because yeah, yeah. we've been trying forever to find them, and our marketing dollars just can't do it. So that was kind of that's what I pitched to them, and uh, the parent company was Sony Columbia at the time, and. And they were cool with it. So gave the record away end of 2006 for three months and started with maybe four or 5,000 people on an email list, which is not huge. It's not nothing, but it's not, it's not huge. And, um, and then had some other friends and bands who um, agreed to kind of help me spread the word. And, and over three months, managed to give away like 85,000 
records. And awesome. so, which was way more records than I'd ever sold. And at that point, we, had, we all we managed to do was give away a bunch of records. And um, we didn't know if there would be a model where we could actually make any money and if that made business sense. But we just, we knew that worked like crazy. But the next thing that happens really where Noitrade was born, which is we realized that in the five cities where I'd given away the most records during those three months, two of those cities, New York and Los Angeles, I'd never not once played a, a solo show, a, a show as a solo artist. I thought, well, you know, I've got a ton of fans in these cities. Why do I, why am I not playing shows? And my thinking was, you know, New York and LA are super competitive markets and, yeah. you know, and a little folk singer like me has no business going to those cities. But here's this data that says I have a concentration of fans there. And I think in, in Los Angeles, it was something like 2,300 fans within 20 miles of downtown LA had downloaded wow. that record. So I called my agent and told them to book me any show on any night for any pay in any venue in LA. I would take anything. So they booked me a Wednesday night, which is terrible, um, at a, a pretty cool venue called the Knitting Factory. But the thing about the Knitting Factory is they – on Hollywood Boulevard, they have three rooms. The upstairs room, the, the big room was like for thousands of people, big, huge, bigger artists. The mid-sized room was for maybe four or 500. And then there was this downstairs bar where I don't think they typically had music, but there was a PA down there and a bartender. I think it was probably an overflow room. And, so they said, okay, we've got you the downstairs bar on a Wednesday night for a zero guarantee, <laughs> Wow! but but you get 90% of the door. So if people show up, you'll make money. And I say, you know, that's perfect. I'll take it. So I took that two weeks before that show, sent an, a, an email, I segmented that list of 85,000 down to just those 2,300 people who lived within about 20 miles of that venue and said to them, hey, I'm coming to your town, 10 bucks at the door, please come out to the show. Hope you love the record. Please come out. You know, didn't know what was going to happen. Two days before the show, hit him one more time. Hey, just a reminder. Hope you love the record. Please come out. And you know, showed up, did a sound check, walked around to have dinner, and no idea if anybody was going to show up. And so, as we're walking back up to play the show, there's this line all the way down Hollywood Boulevard to get in the knitting factory. And and I said to my buddy, man, I wonder who's playing the big room. Maybe after my set, we can sneak in and see that show. <laughs> and right. And, and but then you know, and then it turns out all those people were there to see me, which was insane. And so I walked up and, you know, we sold the room out at a hundred. We turned away like 200. Um, and, and I played the show and then came out on the sidewalk and played a second show for the people who didn't get in. And the, and, 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 you know, and the, and the knitting factory is looking at me like, you know, who the hell are you? Are you famous? famous?" And I was like, no, I'm definitely not. And so this is, this is amazing that we, that we did this. It's, it's, it's remarkable. And it's not a lightning strike. We did this with data. You know, we know exactly how we did this and we can do this on scale in 20 other cities, which means I've got a career for the rest of my life if I want it. And, um, and they immediately that night booked me to come back six months later to play the next bigger room for a guarantee, which I did and sold it out. Same exact thing happened in New York at the bitter end, you know, it's exactly the same thing. Like turned away the capacity of the room. Who the hell are you? I mean, exactly the same story. <laughs> and that's when I was like, okay, I have so many friends who are like me, they're middle-class, blue-collar artists who would be more than willing to give up some content for free in exchange for data with which they can make a living. I know they would do it, but in 2006, they're not going to think of it. It took us two years. We bootstrapped it, started the company, launched it in 2008 um, with a dozen artists, you know, and didn't really know what we were doing or what our business model was, but knew we had an idea that was going to work. And you know, eight years later, um, and we've got, you know, 35 or so thousand artists on the site. We give away, you know, around a quarter of a million albums a month. And we've got about a million and a half people that we feature music two, three times a week. And, and, and actually just this year got acquired by 
Pledge Music, which is a New York and London-based music company who we are have always been huge fans of and um, are very artist-centric and are, it's an artist-founded platform just like Noise Trade. And um, so now I'm still running <coughs> Noise Trade full-time and I'm also the GM of Pledge Music Nashville, which they didn't have an office here. So, so that's turned into just this super surprising season of work for me that I just didn't really see coming. But again, was the result of me solving, trying to solve my own problems. So you've, you've been in the music industry for a couple of decades and it seems like the music industry now is kind of a weird mess Mm. where, you know, you've got things like Spotify and I've heard various artists either praise Spotify or curse its Mm -hmm. very existence. It seems it's almost all digital, but then you've got this weird niche of people like myself that want vinyl so you're getting yes. more physical copies too, and like, where do you see the music industry going? Oh, it's a great question. I mean, yeah, there's definitely you know Spotify. I know it's a great consumer experience, but it's a pretty horrible and inequitable right um, thing for artists. And um, which is a, a long story, which maybe is not this isn't the time for. But I like that there's innovation. I like that there's competition now between Tidal and Apple Music for Spotify. It's you know, streaming music um, is clearly that ship has sailed, and the market I think is pretty clearly spoken that right. that people value access, high quality access over ownership at this point, and that's cool. Um, you always want to come to people on their terms, at consumers. You don't want to tell them how um, you're going to take their money um, if they're willing to give you some, and that's cool. And and um, I think that there's just a much better model that maybe is not yet been uncovered and and we are certainly working on that at noise trade as well but honestly in terms of where i think you're right about vinyl it's like one of the few segments of our of our business that is really insanely growing and has grown year over year for a lot of years now and i think that that's for a handful of reasons one is that vinyl is just a better physical artifact for music um it's it's like a thing you want to own i mean there's this crazy statistic i heard but i i can't remember what the numbers are so i won't try to say that what i won't try to say it but the insane percentage of vinyl that are purchased and never opened because people just want to own it and they just want to have it in their house like a like an artifact they you know a lot of times their records they already own digitally i know that that's how i do it i feel like you know the digital music that i either purchase or stream is kind of a farm league for what records wind up really meaning a lot to me that i want to own on vinyl because that's a different listening experience for me and i'm the same way like uh, the most important records to me i do i own on vinyl and and um and I listen to all the way through, and that's um, and that's a whole different kind of ritual that I do when I listen to music in my house. It's a different kind of focus. But I think that another thing that points to because vinyl is expensive too, and, and it's a high dollar item, and um, the experience of listening to it and the ritual of putting it on is something you can't bootleg or download or or pirate. And um, and and I think what that speaks to is the thing is one of the reasons I'm so excited to be in business now with Pledge Music because it's what they do best, and 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 which is serving super fans and and i think that the resurgence of vinyl speaks to the giant underserved part of the market that is super fans and i think it's it's basically that that tip of the spear 10 20 percent of any band's audience who are their biggest fans that it's that segment of your audience that wants you to have their information they want you to email them they want to know what you're doing they want to be connected they want access to you they're they're not satisfied to come give you an anonymous $10 on iTunes or an anonymous half a penny on Spotify. They, they want that $50, $500, $5,000 option of having you come play a show um, in their living room, the, the, the 
super limited edition test pressing vinyl. The, there's that segment of every band's audience that, if you're doing it right, can can represent 80% of your total revenue. Um, that, that tiny that tiny segment of your audience, and to the to the extent that there's no loser because they want to support you. They, they they'll you know it's the Amanda Palmer principle of it's it's just a matter of giving them opportunities to give you money, not trying to get their money. If you if you give them opportunities, they'll give you more than you even ask for, um, because they so deeply resonate with what you're doing, and you're you're providing soundtrack for their lives, and they want to be part of that. And and I, so I honestly think the future of most businesses, in my opinion, honestly, but definitely of music, is in the super fan segment, and really yeah. serving those fans well, and um, taking advantage of that great mutual benefit relationship of fans who want to deeply support, um, that small segment. Um, and then, and then the rest is, you know, having the music up available everywhere else so that once you're, once you've done a really good job engaging your super fans, then, then it's everywhere else for everyone else. Um, and then everything from Spotify to Apple music, to iTunes, to whatever becomes again, kind of a lead generator to slowly build that, that tip of the spear super fan segment, of your audience that if you're doing your job right, can more, um, than support you. So I think being great and aiming small, I think is the future. That's a great, that's a great answer. I like that. Uh, so to get more specific about your, your career, there's no good way to ask this question, but I'm going to, do you still agree with all the lyrics in your songs? And, um, if so, how do you square that with your ever expanding understanding of, Christ of the kingdom because you write extensively about both of those things and many more things. Sure. Um, so I, I guess it's a two part question. Do you still agree with all of it? And if so, how do you square all that with where you are now in a spiritual sense? No, it's a great question. And in terms of like w- whether or not I agree with all the lyrics and things I've written in the past, I mean, the, the answer is super simple and that's absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I think I would be concerned about anyone who claims to still agree with everything that they had written over 20 years, that means you've not learned of anything and, yeah. and, and grown none. And that doesn't, that's not an artist who I would trust. And, you know, I, I've even gone so far as to say that I feel like oftentimes within five minutes of, of writing a song, I might not be the, the same man who wrote it. And that there's an aspect of covering another man's material in all performing for me. You know, I come at my songs the same way anyone else does. I'm, I'm looking for emotional anchors and hooks into those songs that that can give me what I need to perform those songs. But I'm, I'm I mean, inarguably, not even biologically, the same man who wrote songs just a few years ago on any of my records. I don't think it's a prerequisite. I, I don't think that it matters. I, I think it's it's not even something I think about because if you're healthy again, like you need to be coming at your own material that way and and be okay with coming up against things that you wrote that maybe you no longer agree with. And I think that the remedy or the the healthy way forward is to continue writing more. In the same way that I write songs to document things, I I'm also kind of super into tattoos and and I, and when something really meaningful happens or when I get a certain instinct, then I'll document that. And I'll, um, and I have tattoos on my body that are things that I might not go and get today. That doesn't mean I want to remove them. That means I need to get more (laughs) to bring better context around the ones that I have. And so my, my typical instinct is to want to write more songs. And then when I go into the execution phase and I get out in front of people, I'll play 
the old ones right against the new ones. And it'll be complicated and confusing. And that's how life is. But the other thing that I would say is that, you know, I've got a, a, a good friend who's a photographer and he has people who are, re- are re- really big fans of certain photographs that he's taken. And I'll ask him, you know, like, what were you thinking? And, you know, talk us, talk to us about this photograph. And, and I, I feel resonant with the way he talks about it, which is to say, all I can tell you is when I stood there in that place, looking at that thing, I made those choices and I took that photograph now. Um, and I can tell you that at that moment, that was a very, that was honest. And I, I believed that where I focused and how I framed it were, were the best and right ways to do that. And, and so I, I trust in and believe the man who took that photograph, even if it's not me. Now, if you were to put me back in that same place right this minute, I might not focus where I did. And I might not frame that photograph the way that I did it in that instance. And I might not even choose to take that photograph. But that doesn't mean that when I took it, it wasn't honest. And it wasn't, I don't trust who I was and that I believed what I believed to the extent that I felt like I needed to document that thing in that way. And therefore, I can show you that photograph. I can stand behind it, you know, continue to to claim it and own it. And, and I feel very much the same way about my songs, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of all, that's kind of the best shot I can take at it. Well, so. I think we all, coming from ministerial backgrounds in one form or another, can relate to that with sermons and teachings and things that we've done. Sure. Where you look back on five years ago, like, man, did I really teach that? <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, I did because that's where I was at that time. And it, so it just requires continuing to be honest and maybe take, well, no, not maybe, to definitely take every opportunity to even go back and reference those things and say, you know, you you've heard me say this and yeah. and now I'm going to say this and here's why. And, um, and to model for people like, uh, especially for people, I think in like the church world, I think it's a thing they don't see modeled often, which is, um, a healthy way to come into new information and revise your opinion and to revise your beliefs somewhat, I think is a thing you don't see modeled very often. Um, which is why Christians on the whole are, are people that no one wants to have a conversation with because, <laughs> Christians on the whole don't come off like people who are able to come into new information. They're, yeah. they're, they're terrified of really having a, a real discussion and allowing what you're saying to inform what they believe for fear that they might change what they believe as a result. And so therefore, most conversations are you feel like you're having with someone's propped up, stated hypothetical beliefs, but you're not really speaking to a person. So you're not having a real dialogue. And I think it's so – and it's just so refreshing when I eat. Christians who are, I feel, are open and in a posture of coming into new information, and I and and you you can you just know the difference in a second. Um, could you talk about your creative process a little bit, and um, how does it change from album to album? Is there a definite established rhythm to it? I mean, you've you've seems like you have changed genres and gone back to genres, and and basically have done your own thing. But you you never have an album that's like split folk and split a different genre. So mm-hmm. how do you decide? What's the the process for those albums? Yeah, I can't. I, I can definitely tell you that there's never been two processes the same. All the records I've made, it's every one. I feel like I reinvent the wheel every time, and I also feel as though I make maybe. And I'm not trying to skirt responsibility here, but I feel like I make maybe almost no choices, um, that I almost get no say. Um, because I'm not the kind of writer who, I'm not like a professional autobiographer who's just always writing songs 
like a lot of my friends do. They just, they write several songs a week and that's how they process, you know, complicated emotional situations and that's how they document or whatever. And I've never really been that way. I've, I've only ever written, let's say, you know, 10 or 12 songs a year and, and I'll write them all at once and, and, and then I'll record all 10 or 12. I don't ever write extras. Uh, and then once I'm finished writing those songs and may, and recording them and documenting them, I, I literally will not write another song for a year or 18 months, not a song, not, a, not anything. And I just kind of wait. And then eventually, you know, like when it's kind of time, 12 more show up and I, and I document those. And, and when I'm writing them, I literally have had anxiety over the years of like, Oh man, you know, like I can't believe like, these are the songs I'm going to be stuck with. Like I get like, why, why am I writing about this? So I'm often just as surprised as anybody at what winds up being on these records. And like, I don't have enough songs to really edit or, or be editorial or cut anything. I, I literally kind of have to record what I get and then I'm kind of stuck with, yeah. with that. And so that's, that's always been kind of how it works. And, um, when I've tried to write songs in kind of the off season, as it were, I've, it doesn't work. Like it's, it, I just, I don't, I, I just can't. And up until just a few months ago, I hadn't written a thing since I finished the last song for my last record, which came out, I guess almost three years ago that I was wrong record. And, and I hadn't written anything. And then all at once about just a few months ago, I started writing and I think I'm probably halfway through writing a record now and, and I'll be all the way through in the next few months, I would think. And, and when, once I have it all, I'll record all those songs and, and put that record out uh, hopefully early next year. And then, and every time I do it though, every time I put a record out, I have this very distinct feeling like I think maybe that was the last one. I've thought that every time, every single time. Really, That's how it feels because everything I have, I use up. Yeah. And in a sense that, that really is the last time I'll ever do it. Um, because I'll never do it that way again. And that would, that those were those songs that belong together on that record. Once it's done, it's done and I'll never do it again. And when it comes again, it'll be a whole new thing. So, yeah, I, I feel like I start my career over every few years. Yeah. We cannot wait for that album. Yeah. <laughs> we're very, very excited about that. So to switch gears a little bit, um, or not a little bit, a lot, um, you've written extensively about the church and the kingdom specifically, and you've, you've faced a lot of criticism from the Christian community uh, over the years for various and assorted reasons. Can you talk about what it was like to sort of have that community essentially turn its back on you? Once you started asking questions and commenting on things that had sort of gone uncommented on <laughs> by the church, yeah. I think the way that I see it, it didn't really feel that way to me because I, because I, I I see a very distinct difference between what I would have considered my community in terms of like a spiritual community of people and um, friends or church or whatever, yeah. and the, the what people know as the Christian music business. I see those as two distinctly different things. And one is a, a fictional kind of made up marketing category. And the other is hopefully a real thing. It's a group of people gather around mutual belief and mutually supportive of each other and whatever. And, and so my friends weren't surprised and there was never a rift and there was never anything like that when it came to the records I was making, if anything, they were as responsible as I was because the contents of the records I was making, those, the fuses were lit for all those records and those songs on somebody's porch, drinking a bottle of wine and lamenting about 
our, our experiences and, and what we were experiencing in church or whatever it was. But they understood completely and were with me. And, you know, I, and, and if anything, I felt like there were moments where I was kind of giving voice to my community um, a little bit and, um, or like maybe a very small segment of my community. And so a lot of those people were and continued to be super supportive and, and in proportion with whatever trouble I might have been getting into at various times. And, um, and the only real pushback I got very predictably. So was from the, what you would call the Christian music business. Um, and it was because you can't put a record out through a Christian music distribution channel that also must release mercy me and Sarah Groves and, and other really good bands, but that are not like what I'm doing. You, you can't put my record out through that same channel, um, with some of the content language and topics on it that, that were on my records and expect that to go unnoticed and for that to be without opposition. You you just, you can't really expect that. And it's got nothing really to do with spiritual oversight or, moral ground anywhere it's got to do with business it's just it's just bad it's just bad business it just doesn't make business sense you know you don't put a heavy metal band in front of a jazz festival crowd you know it's like that's just stupid (laughs) and for the same reason you know my records just didn't make sense in those places and coming through those channels there was always some tension about that but 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 the other thing i should say about that is that i'm also wired in such a way to not only be able to tolerate but kind of enjoy when people would respond that way. I mean, I, I've, I, I've always kind of uh, thought of myself as as much uh, a singer songwriter as an agitator. I'm just good at it. You know, I mean, I, like, I and I'm, I'm just, I'm wired for it because like, you know, a lot of people are, have this thing, this people pleasing thing that you hear about where they just, they, they're, they're really hung up on people pleasing and, and people and caring what people think about them and what they do and whatever they get real hung up on that. I'm just, the opposite. If too many people like me too much, I, I wonder if I'm really doing my job right. And, um, the highlights of my career were nights where promoters would be mortified because a huge segment of the audience would get up and walk out during the show because of the songs I was singing. And, and, I, and those were the best nights of the whole tour for me. Um, are you, are you related to Bob Dylan by any chance? Um, oh, well, I, yeah, <laughs> being my, my spiritual, you know, godfather, um, <laughs> That I that I have 100% claimed only on my side, of course. Um, but yeah, you know, it's like so. That's almost that was that's almost become a litmus test for how well I'm doing my job over the years. Like, I get I get uncomfortable when everybody likes what I'm doing. You know, that that's not really what I'm doing. It's not how I do what I do, and it's uh, I like being a disruptive element. I, I like. Um, you know, like I, all growing up, I was kind of a rebellious kid and, and I was a real problem kid and, and it was made my life really hard when I was younger. But I realized that potentially the journey of my adult life was to, to, to try and discern what, what were the right things to rebel against? Cause there are right things to rebel against yes, and, and how, and rather than believing I needed to change my fundamental wiring to be able to use my gifts or my skills or whatever, I, I was more compelled by the idea that. I needed to learn how to just use my powers for good, you know, so to speak. So, and I think as I figured some of that out as an adult, I started making more sense to myself and I kind of found my voice a little bit. And I feel like uniquely kind of gifted or, or skilled to 
do that. And therefore I take it pretty seriously. Like I, I, I feel like it's important for me knowing I'm wired that way and that it rolls off me the way it does and that I even enjoy it. I should probably keep a keen eye out for those topics that my friends who are not wired like me just could never, ever touch. Um, I've kind of specialized in those areas, you know, my wife actually was telling me a story today about a concert she went to of yours. Um, and it was at a Bible college, a, a university, a Christian university. And, um, she said the president got up and walked out in the middle of wedding dress because you said the word whore. Um, and she was like, ask him, ask him how he felt about that. And I was like, he probably doesn't even know, but that makes me happy oh, to know. Probably, I'm sure I, I don't, I mean, I'm hyper, I'm like a hyper analytical detail type personality. So I, I definitely don't, I don't typically miss stuff like that. I was prob my heart probably leapt. I mean, I, I, <laughs> um, I mean, awesome. and I, and I've, and I've relished those moments. I mean, I've, I've been invited. I don't, not for a long time, but I mean, there was a time in my career where I, where I got invited almost kind of regularly. It was weird to Liberty university when, when Jerry Falwell senior was still alive and played in his presence 10 feet from him more than a handful of times. And, 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 you know, tried to be mature and not be a bull in a China shop, but also take the opportunity to, <laughs> Um, you know, to say some things, you know, to, I thought were important to say given the circumstances. And I've definitely had to go up right behind people at some churches that preached and said things that I really disagreed with. And as soon as I got up, I was sure to say so. And then I had plenty of songs that <laughs> gave soundtrack to that disagreement and, and, and many times wound up in altercations where they didn't want to pay me. And, but, you know, it's like, that's the job. So yeah, I, I'm, I, I love you. <laughs> we're, we're all, I think all three of us can relate to the pro, sort of professional troublemaker. Yeah. We call uh, it poking the bear. Yeah, we poke the bear a lot. So. Poke the bear, that's right. Yeah. Well, and it's much harder for you guys, I would think, than it would be for me because, like, I can I can go in and, I mean, I go in and within 24 hours, I'm in and I'm out. Um, it would be harder to, to try and foster that type of healthy disruption and stay and, like, actually deal with the consequences of what you're doing. I've never really had to do that. I'm... I'm in and out, so it doesn't it's end well. Yeah, it doesn't end. That's it's what we've it's all been usually fired, on somebody so. else. It's like the poor college pastor who booked me and and was maybe the only person in the room who knew what I was gonna, you know, knew my music at all, and and got a bunch of people to come out to a show, and then you know I leave, and then you know he gets fired or something. I mean, it's like <laughs> that's always a bummer. So we we talked about the uh, future of the music industry and kind of like to talk about what do you think the future of the church looks like or do you have a vision of what the church should look like in the future i i, I wish that the church as i have experienced it felt more to me like my group of friends at the bar that i haunt in nashville um there's so many things that are parallel um you know we partake of the spirit you know we we tell our stories to each other um we gather, you know, uh, in this place. And a lot of us have complicated backstories when it comes to the church and spirituality, but, um, it's a safe place. And, and I, I've often said, you know, that, that, you know, the church, as I understand it, it should feel like reco a recovery group. It should be a group of people coming in, all of whom are saying we all need to be healed and, and we all need to be restored and we need to, we need to, we need to go through recovery and we, and, and even the person in front should say, come with me as I go and, and get help. Um, come with me and let's all go together. You know, that's the lead, that's the nature of a leader in, in that community, in my opinion. And, 
and and it should feel more like you know an AA meeting than an Amway convention. And I and I think it more often feels like the latter. And and so I don't know. It's like it feels like a celebration of a product um, rather than a, a safe place to tell our stories to each other. I I, I guess I kind of feel a little more self-conscious about anything that would, could be read as criticism because of the fact that I'm not really participating in it right now. Right. So I, I, I feel like, but I have for long enough to know kind of what some of the fundamental, at least issues that I had and, and how I wish it felt like what I'm finding elsewhere. Yeah, um, I would definitely say you're not alone in, in those feelings. We're, we're definitely in that same space where we're not part of the, the local church per se, but we're definitely feel like we're still connected to the universal church, if that makes sense. You know, with this podcast, we started this thing back in March and like had no idea what it was going to do. We're like, hey, I have 20 people listen. That's great. And now we have a thing called Pastor's Pub where it's like people donate a dollar to our Patreon account and they can be part of this. And it's an online Facebook community. Mm. Of people who are just deconstructing and talking and questioning, and it's been it's been wonderful. Yeah, it's troll free. It's <laughs> I mean it's 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 just a wonderful place for all of us to sort of just connect with people all over the country, literally all over the world, um, yeah. and just talk and question and hey, what do you think about this? And post things and um, so we we so while none of us have been in church in probably a year at least, you know we we definitely feel a connection, like Michael said, to that to something a lot bigger than the local church. Since we have a lot of listeners who are signed up sort of in various stages of deconstruction, and I feel like some of your music definitely points towards that, deconstructing things that have sort of been always assumed mm. by the institutional church, are there any words of encouragement you can offer to them, to people who are sort of in that deconstructing mode? I don't feel like I've quite pivoted around the corner to the reconstruction phase yet, but I'm... Sure but I'm open to it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> um, sure. And so a few things. One is it's the best, it's at anyone's peril that they deny the tension of realizing that their stated beliefs differ fundamentally from their practical beliefs. It's a dangerous thing to ignore when you feel it. What I would say to people is that your, your practical, actual, your practical beliefs are your only real beliefs. That, that, that other bit, that hypothetical stated belief thing, is not, it's not real. And I think a lot of people, and probably a lot of your listeners, and certainly I got to a point where I just didn't have the energy anymore to keep both going. Right. And um, I couldn't maintain both. I couldn't maintain the kind of the propped up hypothetical belief as my answer to questions of friends who were concerned to try to keep their concerns at bay. I eventually just had to start saying what my actual beliefs were. And, um, but with the intention of not staying there, I think you're more likely to get stuck if you stand behind and hide behind a stated hypothetical belief. The problem is that you wind up not doing business with your actual beliefs that might be something really concerning to you and, or something that needs things that need to be addressed and need to be deconstructed in order to be reconstructed and things like that. If you pretend that those, those things aren't real out of fear of what your friends will think or what it will mean um, to you then, um, and to your life and how it might be disruptive to you, and then you might miss uh, or miss the jump on um, a lot of really good work um, and process that you can go through. And uh, you know, don't be too anxious to put your feet down and stand up in the stream. I mean, 
keep your feet off the uh, off you know the the floor and and continue to like stay in that stream like continue moving you know don't put your flag down too quickly um be willing to follow those coordinates where they go in order i mean i i actually kind of had this thought a few weeks ago i think and and just kind of quipped about it on twitter but the idea that some gods deserve atheists yes yeah and and so sometimes it's like it's the most dangerous and spiritually dishonest thing you can do to not come right out and say, this is where I am and this is what I believe and I want to do business with this and I want to continue the process of where this might take me. And which leads me to kind of the final thing I would say, which is if the things that I have believed for most of my life wind up being true, and I hope that they do, if they do, my previously stated beliefs would tell me that a season of intense doubt all the way to the pulling up of the root doubt that I'm safe to do that. If those things wind up being true, then even I cannot pluck myself from Jesus hand. Um, even my intense doubt cannot do that and that I am safe to explore that. Um, and if I find that those things are true, then I was never at peril, um, in any peril because you know, those are promises that the Bible gives us, um, that there's nothing that can separate us from, from that love. And, um, but if as a result of that process, you find out that there are things that you didn't believe correctly about, or maybe some or none of it is true, wouldn't you have wanted to have gone through the process to discover that? Um, so I kind of feel like it's worth the risk either way. And, and it's a greater risk to not engage. Awesome. I can't believe this podcast is free. <laughs> like, seriously, people should be paying for this kind of stuff. Um, so uh, they always say that you should, two things you don't talk about it are religion and politics. So um, I'm going to talk about politics. <laughs> um, so you've been open about uh, kind of your concerns about the political system in the past. Kind of what do you, what do you make of today's political climate? And what is the artist's role in uh, promoting change within that climate? Wow, it's really discouraging and confusing yeah. right now. It's like I, you just kind of can't believe that it's kind of come to where it is, um, that we've somehow found our way to this point. It, um, I, I've always kind of lamented the two-party system and the fact that we don't Absolutely. have a real range of um, ideas represented and, and people representing those ideas. And we're also under no obligation morally to vote. Too. So, um, you know, th there is that option. I mean, if I've, I guess what I've always kind of thought is that if a, if, a, if a vote, if you feel as though your only choice is a defensive vote and you're really just voting, you don't like either person, you're voting against one person by voting for the other. If there are things about both people that amount to a violation of your conscience, then you really shouldn't vote. It's a, it's it, you're, it's more perilous to violate your conscience under any circumstances um, than it is to you know hold up under some perceived obligation that you must uh, vote. Um, I, I'm having a real hard time looking at the landscape as it is, and and I kind of wonder. I think that we're just so caught up in our moment right now that I wonder if in a decade or more from now we're going to look back and it's going to th this whole season is going to feel like that strange kind of drunken weekend, you know, that we're going <laughs> to look back and be like, what? Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, like, what were we, what were we thinking? Like, how did we, how did it get to that point? And we were just so like, we had our noses pressed 
so hard against that moment we were in. We didn't realize the stakes, and we didn't realize the, how that could pivot our country's, our democracy's history going forward. I mean, like it could do some unprecedented damage, and and some things could really get severely broken. And and it's just so it's real concerning to me. I mean, I have children, you know, and I'm I worry about what reality is going to look like for them as a result of the choices we're making right now that I think we're being extremely reactive. Um, and that's what really worries me. I think we're making very emotional political decisions right now. And um, we're doing another thing that I'm not a big fan of, which is making permanent choices based on very impermanent circumstances. That's It's just a really bad precedent. And But so the, so in terms of the, the the job of an artist, I mean, there there is and has always been that kind of speaking truth to power potential role for, for artists and, and really uniquely so. And, and, you know, like in the, in the fifties and the sixties times there are changing was like a billboard pop single. It was like a, it was like a number one hit. And, um, you know, every great movement was really only as strong as its soundtrack. Um, if you really look at it and, and I don't think it's incumbent on all artists to do that. I don't think all artists must make topical or politically, motivated art, even in, under extreme circumstances, I don't think. But I think that for those who feel as though they can and are wired to do so, um, man, I, I mean, I think they really should because um, where else and who else? I mean, I, I think maybe the only other in our time now in 2016, I think maybe the, the even more prophetic and disruptive cultural element more so, and I wouldn't be just I wouldn't draw a distinction between these people and artists because I think they are artists but at least from musicians are comedians I think oh, absolutely. I think I think com- comedians are easily in my estimation right this minute the the most powerful most subversive voice in culture and and especially in the last 10 years I mean with Colbert and John Stewart and Louis CK and Mark Marin and Patton Oswald and, and a lot of the more prophetic kind of comedy that's happening out there um it, it remind it reminds me somewhat of what the hip-hop movement was 20 years ago and and it still is to some degree today and what woody guthrie and pete seeger and bob dylan and joan baez were in the 50s and the 60s it's like it's that same thread of folk ethic that i really think is invaluable and unique to the west you know like we have the luxury and the rights to speak this way and and but the thing that's even better about comedians is that it isn't so heavy and it kind of, it, I feel like it's a better Trojan horse, even than music sometimes, because if they get you laughing, oh, I can't find the words for it, but it's, it has this magic that, um, you can find yourself, your, your imagination kind of, I don't know, kind of going where they want to take you. And, and as long as you're laughing, you, you'll kind of follow. Um, and it's, I think it's really a tremendous, powerful art form. Yeah. So. yeah. Laughter, laughter opens you up to great truths that you wouldn't accept otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So while people are waiting in great anticipation for your next album, which the three of us definitely are, um, two-part question. What should they be listening to in the meantime? Kind of what are you listening to that's inspiring you? And what are you reading? What have you read recently or what are you reading that's sort of been insightful or inspiring to you? You know what's interesting? So, I mean, I definitely am a reader, and and, and but that's like that's changed for me over the years in terms of like – what kind of things I gravitate towards. And in, in the last few years, honestly, I, I feel like I got, I feel like when I was in my twenties, mainly I kind of so OD'd on 
especially religious nonfiction that I just, I almost can't, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like I ate so many pop tarts as a teenager that I just can't eat another pop tart. Maybe ever. I totally Um, resonate. That resonates with us all. Yeah. Yeah. I just love a good novel. I love, I especially love like tech, um, fiction. (laughs) Like I love, um, Cory Doctorow and Daniel Suarez and there's so many, um, William Gibson. And I mean, I just love like tech suspense and tech. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I love that stuff. I love sci-fi. I love, you know, that kind of, but what's crazy is that I've realized it's even more important than books, more important than music to me is, is visual storytelling movies. The most influence that, that any art form probably had on me has been movies. I'm such a huge movie, movie buff and movie fanatic and, and more so even now, long form storytelling people like HBO and Netflix and AMC and USA have kind of pioneered long story arc television. Um, it's just really remarkable what's happening right now and the kind of stories you can tell and the way you can tell them. And that's honestly like such a huge part of my, my life is, is that kind of art and, um, more so than books or almost anything. I'm always reading anybody who's writing good disruptive you know, things like, you know, um, Seth Godin and, um, you know, um, what's his name who wrote outliers? Um, Oh, I can't think of his name. You're going to get a bajillion (laughs) comments telling us who it is. Um, but, uh, so, you know, there's definitely all, I'm always looking for great, um, for anything that, that detaches me and unhinges me from, my typical patterns of thought. I, I love good disruptive thinkers and, and, and those guys are definitely, What's, definitely that. You're thinking of Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, hundred percent. That's right. What's That's right. the, uh, the, the best television show on TV right now? Oh man. How, how, <laughs> you, how have you even... gotten into Mr. Robot? Oh no, of course. Oh, I'm a huge... <laughs> so good. <laughs> I would lay down the rabbit hole. Yes. Robot. And honestly, there's like that. And there's like, you know, Narcos is so good. Second season just went up on Netflix Halt and Catch Fire. I'm just yeah. way deep into the third season of that show. Amazing. Um, but in terms of like what I'm listening to, I'm I'm definitely and this isn't the first time I've said this lately, but almost the only music I listen to, almost the only music is I listen to two kinds of music. Um, I listen to like the folk music of the pro, like the protest mm-hmm. movement um, of the 50s and 60s, which are the artists I've already named. You know, Woody Guthrie, Joan Baez, Pete Seeger, Bob Dylan. And even like someone like Garfunkel and some of those, some of those types, um, and then hip hop. Those are the only two kinds of music I listen to: Kendrick, um, yeah. uh, Kanye, you know, Black Star, Yasin Bey, mm-hmm. Childish Gambino, Chance, you know, uh, these guys. And what's interesting is how that all feels like the same kind of music to me yeah. Um, yeah, in terms absolutely. of the, that folk music ethic, that that telling speaking truth to power, telling the unfiltered stories of the people in the vernacular of the people, which makes it complicated sometimes. And lately what I've been listening to some, some music that's been just become incredibly important to me. And I've just, I've just been feeding on it even is the music of my buddy Dave Bazan. Oh yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. He's a, a guy I know pretty well and, 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 and spend time with as often as I can. And, and I just am so grateful for, for, how fearlessly and and selflessly he's documented what is a really complicated um and vulnerable journey uh that he's been that he's been on and and is on still and 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 not only 
the the topics of the records that he makes, but just the excellence with which he makes them. I mean, he's just he's he's just one of the most important artists I think of my life, and 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 the fact that he happens to be a guy who I have a relationship with as well, and that I can ask questions about, and I, and he's just been a great a great source of encouragement and support to me. And but I'm a much bigger fan than I am than a friend. I mean, I we're we're, cer- we're certainly friends, but our friendship will never come close to what a geek I am of the, <laughs> about him and, and just how important I think what he's doing is. And, and, you know, there are just so few people who are providing soundtrack for those more complicated moments and those deconstructive and potentially reconstructive moments. I mean, hardly, and it's like what you guys are saying with your podcast, like you started to do this and, and little did you know that there would be such a, an audience that yeah. was so thirsty and, and needed it. And I think that, you know, the chances that Dave has taken, and the, the amount of his audience that he's lost, I've watched a whole other audience and some remnant of that original audience show up and lean in and stay with him and, and huddle around him because, you know, there are so, there's so little music for this yes. season. Yes. The, um, yes. And so when you can find it, it's so, you're so grateful for it and it's so good and it's just there's nothing that can quench your thirst the way that it can. And, um, and whether you agree with his conclusions and – um, and, and whether it's, you just, you just get on for, um, a few miles and then exit. I mean, it's like, it's just really invaluable to have a mind like his applied to this particular subject matter for him to have done it so kind of lovingly and carefully, man, I'm just really grateful. And so I've, I've really, his music's been a great comfort to me and I've listened to it a lot. I mean, that's probably, I've listened to his records, um, more than anything lately. And, uh, I'm so grateful, you know, for what he's doing. It's a voice that needs to be heard. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just, it just needs to be there. I mean, I just, the worst thing that can happen for probably a lot of people who are listening, you know, to what you guys are doing is, is to be convinced that you're alone. Um, and you're the only one who has gone through and questioned these things and is trying to make sense of this. And a witness like Dave Bazan just at least provides you with some solidarity and sanity in a moment where you've already lost so much, you know, it's like, or potentially risking losing a lot. And because of the, the process that you're going through the deconstruction that you're experiencing, it's like you at least need to feel as though there's someone with you. And, and Dave does provide in your headphones that camaraderie and that comfort. And and I think that's just invaluable. Um, and hardly anyone else is brave enough to do it. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a, He's a man I'm grateful for. So can we expect a Dave Bazan, Derek Webb tour anytime soon? Because we, <laughs> we would be 100% on board with it's that. It's certainly a thing. Um, like the, 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 way, the only way I could imagine that working that I have pitched to him is <laughs> for him to do his normal touring and for me to tune his guitars. and get <laughs> um, well, I think that would make sense. I think that is anything, anything beyond that I would feel very – you know, I'd be un- pretty uneasy about Indiana. Um, Indiana's lovely this time of year, so well, if you guys ever want to come up this way, you know. We'll see about that. <laughs> All right, Derek, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We we seriously can't thank you enough. We're we're super excited for the next record. We want to have you back on whenever you uh, oh, drop love that album. That. No, I yeah. really appreciate getting to talk to you guys, and thanks for what you're doing. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you, Derek. Guys. And now let's go into our five star review. Oh yeah, yeah. we have one. Yeah, let's, we're excited uh, about that. We let's, had like five last week, so yeah, yeah. So way to not come through this week, guys. Except for except for Zach Hansen eighty nine. Thanks, Zach. Um, 
This is called a podcast for the vagabond. Oh, nice. Uh, it's a very short one. It's very good, though. A podcast for the wanderer in life. Ooh. Honest about himse- themselves and the issues that surround us. Conversation is essential to growth, and this is what they bring. Hmm. That's what we try to do. So we that makes that. us sound a lot better than what we actually are. <laughs> <laughs> really, all these They really kind of do. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for lying about us. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Other than the haggis bag that left a two two star review for us yeah. that one time, yeah. uh, it was a one star. We have a one. Oh, star. that's right, a, a one. one star. Yeah, one star and a review. It yeah, was you awesome. want a, you want a good laugh. Yeah, mm-hmm. good stuff. Yeah. A good review of uh, hashtag missing the point. Uh, go, go read our one star review. We're not going to give that uh, that guy any any airtime on here. Screw him. He's dead to us. He's not listening to us. He's a complete troll. <laughs> All right. So um, with that, we're going to get into a little bit of Twitter feedback. Um, Shana Sellers at uh, AKA Papa Smurf um, <laughs> at Murph 92. Um, Shouldn't it just be Papa Murph? No, it's it's her name's Papa Smurf. It's it, that's how it's been. It's, Is this well established? It was written in the stars. Um, at Pastors Podcast, cackling at the news feed, MJ Basinger uh, sounds like Rocky and Bullwinkle instead of British. <laughs> That's actually true. It yeah. is very true. That's very true. That's what I couldn't put my finger yeah. on. Like I said, what did I say last week? You sound like you had a cold. Totally sounded like Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh. Yeah. Do you know who Rocky and Bullwinkle is? I know is, who Michael? they are. Right. I just, I'm, I'd have to go back and listen to it. Yeah, it was part of his fourth grade curriculum in homeschool. <laughs> I was in real school during fourth grade. Thank you very much. Um, and she also said, and if I could hug a sound system. So uh, Eugenie Ballman, uh, friend of the podcast, said... Um, Benefactor of the podcast. Yes. Um, at Pastors Podcast, there is no such thing as a white castle in California. Hashtag, thank you, Jesus. Hashtag, one hemorrhoid. <laughs> so you say that. You just haven't had white castles. No, she long. has. In fact, I think she later... She tweeted later that once she was in Cincinnati and had in one day. Oh, she did. Skyline right. Chili, White Castle, and what was, was something I don't else? Remember. Freaking horrifying. I did. I don't know how she's alive. I'm one day. I know I did one day. I did Skyline, Taco Bell, and White Castle in one day. Nope. That was a bad day. Nope. Not doing it. Yeah. Uh, our old youth minister used to dip White Castles in Taco Bell pintos, pintos and cheese. cheese. Yeah, I do remember that. It what? was pretty gross. I don't. White castles are so soft, though. Like, yeah. did it just kind of like? No, you just dig in there. You just dug it out there with yeah. like a shovel. No, with the with the white castle. Nope. Saw him do it. Gross. Pretty yep. gross. Pretty gross. Awesome. So I saw him eat uh, mashed potatoes out of his belly button once. Next week on Fat Bastards. <laughs> mashed potatoes out of Michael's belly button. Uh, <laughs> oh, that is not happening. I'm, I'm here for this. <laughs> gravy, nope. gravy shots out of my navel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Ray at Galactic Wonderlust um, wrote P- at Pastors Podcast hashtag Drunk Monkey. Hey, oh, wow! wow. New episode listener. one, nice. So th- he, uh, God, that was a fun episode. Tweeted at us a little bit later. He's on episode five, so he's he's getting. But that was episode. That one. was the episode that like we weren't even gonna like air it. Yeah, and we were like, "Well, that was that was okay. That was fun. Let's just air it and see what happens." That was that was that was our uh, podcast virginity being broken right there. Is what that was. That's a really gross way to describe. Well, but that's what it was. I mean, we not really. Nope. We're like, well, it probably won't be that good, but hey, it turned out all right. Um, Really, really gross way to. uh, Wow. I'll tell you what, you you pieces of shit. You go back, 
Go back and listen to the last podcast. Look at all the stupid shit you guys have said. Give me at least one of these, all um, right? No. no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, that's it's also a number, our first episode is our most listened to episode. Huh. People mm-hmm. get in there like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> I've noticed that. And they that. quit listening. No, I mean, they, a lot of them continue to listen, yeah. but everyone wants to start at the beginning. So yeah, I'm kind of the same way, too. Yep. Uh, and then Zach Hansen uh, at Zach Hansen 89 sounds yep. familiar. Yep. Uh, said a conversation that should be heard. This is about uh, science Mike interview. A conversation that should be heard. Uh, doubt shouldn't scare us. It is something that brings us to a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Hashtag the uh, theological overhaul. Yeah, I listened to that episode again. It's really good. That was yeah. a great interview. It was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Hazel uh, at underscore Daniel underscore oh, Hazel underscore time. Uh, just because I love it um, <laughs> said uh, when hiking uh, we were trying to figure out where to go I eventually said I think that way is foofy and that way is back <laughs> so um, further up further in and then um, he also wrote and then I spoke of a wonderful magical world of dwarves elves and pastors beautiful um and then sarah kate formerly ron swanson's daughter um, (laughs) uh, said hooray for new mics um can you make them even louder so that you can drown out my kids again (laughs) jk kinda you're You're totally not jk and i get it i've got three kids i have two michael has two (laughs) totally get it no Uh, judgment here uh dev sorrel Wrote at Mike McCarg, uh, killed it with the hashtag ghost axiom on the past pastors podcast. Indeed. Great book suggestions too. You know, I think one of my favorite parts of that podcast, that episode was when he talked about Pearl Jam. Who do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, it was really when you cool. compared it to mm-hmm. why you sort of get tired of church after a while, but eventually, yeah, that was just brilliant, man. I mean, it was so good. Um, Brandon Andrus. Hi, Brandon. Um, said hey, buddy. Every, everything before Foofy on this episode is killing me completely in tears laughing. <laughs> that was the episode where I hated you. I'm pretty that, sure. That was, last, that was last week. Yeah, I know. I hated oh, you. By the way, if people, uh, if week? listeners Basically. haven't listened to his Outside the Walls podcast, his to. last episode with Shane Claiborne was freaking nuts. Yeah, it was very good. Really good. I liked his one outside, too. The, the yeah. One, like, oh, um, completely different vibe. Yeah. The one where he was in Wyoming. But it was awesome. good. I think it was intentionally a different vibe and it was really uh impactful his, his podcast is very guerrilla theater like it's it's, it's really f- well put it's i mean it is that's what it is it's just very different and it's he packs a lot of shit into a very short amount of time a lot of good content so that should be his uh his tagline a lot of shit in a short amount of time sorry brandon we apologize uh, I want we it. have a way with words I we want, do we are wordsmiths of the I want, highest order if you use that i want a percentage of the royalties yes. that comes from that uh mike at hyperbolic mike um wrote uh i loved your sound quality this week and i prefer parabolic mike Mm, you know, a little more. He's more well-rounded. Thank you for your podcast. It's been part of my deconstruction therapy. Cheers. Really? Nothing. I'm with you. It took me a minute. I'm with you. Yeah. Michael, then, Michael doesn't get it. It's fine. Well, I was, wasn't even he was listening. Home, he was out of school. That's cool. Uh, <laughs> I think I've shit on him what three times this week? Just this week. I don't even know what you're saying. You shit on him like the last ten podcasts about that. Like every time you listen, it's like, yeah, it's homeschooling. 
It's my favorite. Bro, thing. I was not even homeschooled in like grade school. I went to regular like elementary. Can we talk about the fact that our job requires us to drive all over Indiana? That's and nothing no, to no, do no, with no, home, no, 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 no. Let me finish. It's just my life. Let me finish. And the <laughs> last week, I said something about the Northwest, and Michael literally goes, where's the Northwest? And I looked at you and I said, are you shitting me? Where's the Northwest? Well, I meant like what city are you referring to in the Northwest? That's what I meant. But still. It's really the wording that is like, where's the Northwest? Well, Where is the Northwest? Well, see, there's this North part, and that's up. I was really talking about. And then about. there's West, which is over here to the left. I was talking about you Kanye's see, daughter. You see, just, <laughs> where is she? You see, there's this thing called the compass. And oh, it has these my God. Oh. All right, uh, we, we, Nathan Miller like, West. Quite literally, Jesus take the wheel when he's driving. Right. You've never he, even ridden with me. It's the only way that he's getting to where he's supposed to go. You've never even ridden with me. <laughs> Hashtag Jesus is my GPS. You couldn't handle it. You can't ride dirty I've ridden like with me. You. Not for the job, but I've ridden mm. with you before. When, when I'm on it's the job, like it's like driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> Screw you. I drive the speed limit because I've had too many freaking uh, speeding tickets. Oh, boy. It's the worst. <laughs> um, anyway, Nathan Miller West wrote at Pastor's Podcast, hashtag double stinger. Pump up the love, boys. Pump up the love. Hashtag Christian cliches. Two. Pump up the love. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. So I feel like I don't want this to end yet, guys. We probably should, though. Yeah, we, we probably, probably should. should. We're we're a good uh, hour and 37 in. Oh, God. Yeah, let's end this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's kill it. <laughs> Um, I have a question, Michael, though. Which way is east? <laughs> Never eat soggy weenies. <laughs> east, that way. No, that's, that's west. Oh, you're talking about, I'm just talking I love about, that you're I'm what? At, what oh, are I'm you, 32? Yeah. And you have I'm to gonna, go never eat soggy weenies. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be 33 uh, Friday, a couple days. <laughs> oh, my oh, Lord. I'll probably should do something for his birthday, huh? Yeah. You, you should when sing 33. That's Friday. like a... That's like the most nondescript birthday ever. Yeah. Like thirty three. Like my well, big th- hi, I'm thirty three. Jesus got congratulations. Crucified at Jesus died. <laughs> Maybe we should nail him to a cross for his birthday. Um, yeah. I'm here for this. My here I, now. I do have a thing for the thirty third birthday. My and I've done this to everyone I've known that's turned thirty three, and it's like, well, Jesus died at thirty three. What have you done? <laughs> Uh, so I, I think I, you actually said that to me. I'm, I'm sure I did. I don't think you did that to me. But well, we weren't super I don't think friends. I knew you then. You didn't know me where well. Yeah, you knew who I was, but I, I knew of you. I was just talking to somebody about that, that lately. That was a better time. Yeah, <laughs> when Brad was just a figment of Matt's imagination. <laughs> yes. Oh and boy. He busted through the walls of can, reality can like Kool Aid Man. Can, can we end this yet? <laughs> Oh yeah! Exactly. Your Kool Aid Man is better than your Sean Connery. I'll give yeah, you that. that's that's for sure. I don't know. That oh yeah came out more like Macho Man Randy Savage than I oh, think. Yeah. Oh yeah! What a slapping to us! <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say that? snap, but I said slap. Slapping to us. Oh, hey, we found our hashtag. Oh, boy. Yeah, let's yeah. go ahead and go move into hashtag land. Okay. Let's do that. Um, 
Of course, Brad's wanting to jump into it early, per yish. <laughs> I just need to move it into the, the segment. Um, it is closing time before hashtag oh, time. Boy. Race on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a review on iTunes. Yep, we need one for next um, week. Check out our website, ingloriouspastards.com. Thank you for uh, to uh, August mm-hmm. Blondahl for uh, that, that website. And then uh, support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash pastors podcast. If you go to ingloriouspastards.com, there's a link. Yeah. Help us uh, continue to get uh, better sound equipment. Indeed. Um, and now we'll go into the hashtag. All right. I've got a few. I do too. I have a ton. What you got there, big guy? Uh, Sean Connery's haggis bags. <laughs> <laughs> That's a personal favorite. I have I have two haggis bags, but I was going for a shorter version of it. But that was I couldn't spell Connery, so it's wow. I could spell Connery anyway. So I've got that one. I've got a chip in a box. <laughs> uh, Rand, Randy the movie. Yeah, I have Randy. The movie too. <laughs> I have Randy. Uh, uh, Bieber is Johnny Cash. Yeah, uh, no. I believe in Jesus. <laughs> I'm guessing that's already a hashtag somewhere. Probably, I don't know. That's yeah, pretty yeah. awesome, though. Uh, bird murder. <laughs> I have bird autopsy. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good. With a steak knife. Okay, that's better than bird murder. That's fantastic. Uh, gravy shots. I've got gravy shots. Uh, <laughs> the gravy this, navel. This one might be like my favorite, my personal bit. favorite. Uh, where's the Northwest? <laughs> oh, and hashtag slap into a slim jam. I've got that one too. <laughs> All right. uh, I've also got uh, hashtag Michael's lung butter. Because he can't stop coughing. He can't stop coughing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have hashtag podcast virginity. Oh, that's <laughs> gross. God, that's gross. Too dirty. Really? That makes me feel like I need to go shower. That NSFW. So, this from the podcast, that hashtag hot tubs in Alabama Thunder Percy. <laughs> yes. NSFW. I feel like hot tubs in Alabama Thunder Percy is less gross than than that. Podcast periods. Ugh. Oh, God. Stop. Uh, periods. I've Remember got uh, hashtag Jesus is my GPS. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. And then this one's too long, but I kind of, I'm kind of parcel this one hashtag missing the point you one star review douchebag um, yeah that's a little long that's a little long all right um that guy i mean he just is being who he it's just him that's it's fine. his way of just it's being, fine not everybody being we're not for everybody that's for sure guys let's pray for that guy right now he's with me let's pray let's for all this. raise our hands let's pray for this weaker if you're, vessel if you're he's out a there, weaker vessel if you're out there a podcast man <laughs> If you'll raise your hand towards your iPod and, weaker, and pray with us. He's a weaker vessel, guy. Yeah. If you're okay. driving, don't close your eyes. <laughs> uh, Unless Jesus has the wheel. Yes. All right. Uh, Michael, what do you um, have? I've got... I don't even remember what this is. Hashtag terror hole. Oh, and space time continuum. Yeah. Okay. Uh, two haggis bags. <laughs> Still like Sean Connery's haggis bag. Melt in your mouth cowtail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Um, Dorito crusted tenderloin. Uh, the core too. Uh, Randy the movie and uh, Bird Autopsy. I love that we both had Randy the movie. Uh, I'm, I kind of like that's a movie. lot of really good. I kind of like Sean Connery's haggis bags. I, think I we- did have uh, two two uh, haggis bags as well. 
I don't know. Connery's hard to spell. No, it's really not. It's, it's C O N N E R Y. Really not hard. Let's, I, I'm kind of partial to something with haggis bags in it. I think that's. I think Sean Connery's haggis bags. Although I, I will say that uh, what was the other one that was really really good? Maybe, I guess two haggis bags is a little shorter. That's a little two catchier. haggis bags. All right, two I'll haggis go with bags. yours. Two haggis bags. Two and a half I'm, haggis bags. Just do two haggis bags. And yeah. as, and as always, everybody presents their alternative hash. Their alternative yeah. hashtags. Yeah, as well, send us those. Fun. Always fun. And if anybody wants to mail us some Dorito crusted tenderloins, <laughs> bring it. <laughs> I'll I'll eat him. Um, yeah, so if you listen to this podcast um, all the way through, hit us up on social media at uh, Pastors Podcast. At Polly named Brad. At Polly named Matt. With the hashtag, hashtag two haggis bags. Um, also, we are on Facebook.com slash Pastors Podcast. And now it's that time of the week. Oh, any, any closing thoughts? Nope. Uh, do you know who you want to take you home? <laughs> yes, Michael. I'm going to vote Cheryl Crow this week. <laughs> no. That's who I want to take me home. Why? Take me home. Uh, I don't know. She just... How about John Denver? Take me home. No. Country he... roads. Take me home. To the place <laughs> where I belong. <laughs> West Virginia. <laughs> Mountain Mama. Take me home. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was Brad Polly. <laughs> You've been listening to these smooth sounds of Brad Polly on the By the way, John podcast. Denver rules and don't even freaking at me on that. So um I'm more of a Kenny Rogers guy, the gambler. <laughs> you the gambler's know awesome too, actually. I won't even I won't, yeah. I do have that. On I'm vinyl. good with that. Did you too. guys do you guys ever have that? What was the band that mom and dad had the record down in the basement? Uh, Alabama. Uh, Alabama Thunder They were terrible. Yeah, they were bad. God, we listen to Elmo. Anyway, listen to Thank God I'm a Country Boy and Country Roads for like on an endless loop and just Mm -hmm. enjoy your life. Um, I have those happy checks. I have Alvin and the Chipmunks covering covering that (laughs) on vinyl. Horrible. (laughs) On vinyl. (laughs) I've got a lot of crappy vinyl. Yes, you do, apparently. I've got some good vinyl too, but like, you know how you start doing vinyl and people, here, take mine. All right, like, we should probably end, we should end this. Here's Bill Cosby on vinyl. Oh boy, yeah, probably should burn that. Yeah, it's still in the in the cellophane wrapper. <laughs> <laughs> Have, haven't busted it out yet. Probably shouldn't. Yeah, it's in this. Wait until the time's right. Michael, end it. All right, so um, let me cue up some music. Um, I'm just gonna talk to you guys for a second about um, uh, global warming. <laughs> um, are you guys concerned about it at all? A little bit. Yeah, it's real. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, shit's getting real. Yes, okay. indeed. This is Michael Stalling. If you live so. on the coast, it's probably time to move inland. Um, do you guys think that <laughs> there's a possibility of... Uh, I read an article. Um, I really wish he was prepared right now. The uh, Old Faithful, is that what it is? Old Faithful? Yeah. It's about right below. Yeah, well. Yeah, with that, here's just the tip of the week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Hi, friends. Look, if you had one shot, one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it? Or just let it slip? Because you better lose yourself in the music, the moment you own it. You better never let it go. You only get one shot 
do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Yo. Yo.